Doug Donovan vividly remembers his first virtual reality experience. Do you remember the first time you ever tried VR? Oh, absolutely. It was 2014 or so, and I put it on, and it was a duck hunting game. As you can imagine, this stuff runs deep in the gaming world. And I remember just looking around, 360 degrees, ducks everywhere. If you've ever put on a VR headset, the feelings of astonishment will sound familiar. I thought I was in an old video game. And so when I popped that off and we were in a hotel room, I remember thinking, whoa, I just, I can't believe I was in two places. But Doug wasn't just blown away by his first VR experience. That's when we knew it was time to start rolling VR into our solution. Doug is the CEO of Interplay Learning, a company that uses VR to train skilled workers like plumbers and HVAC technicians. The idea of using a simulated environment to practice those skills, both in a safe environment and an opportunity to practice them with a lot of repetitions, it's a really powerful application of virtual reality. Effectively, you have a program in a box. Interplay is using VR to revitalize an aging workforce and help bring those trades into the digital world. I'm Kristen Meinzer, and this is Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. This episode, I'll be talking with Doug Donovan, CEO of Interplay Learning, about the technology his company is using to revolutionize training for workers in the essential HVAC, plumbing, solar, electrical, and facilities maintenance trades. In doing so, he and his team aim to energize and modernize those trades and the labor market. Hello, Doug. Nice to meet you, Kristen. It's so nice to meet you. Where are you located? I'm in Austin, Texas. We got a nice little company here we're running. <laughs> Tell us about it. What, what exactly does Interplay Learning do? So Interplay Learning is an education technology company, and we focus on training the hands-on workers of the world, the electrical, mechanical, industrial workers, who've typically been a little overlooked by the education technology world. And our secret sauce really is, has been this point-of-view simulation. And so we use virtual reality. When you say VR, virtual reality, are you saying that people are actually like putting on helmets and then visually seeing how to wire a house or how does all of that work? Can you explain yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. We don't call it a helmet, more <laughs> of a headset, but absolutely. It's a point of view representation of an in-the-field environment. So you can imagine if you're trying to build in-the-field skills like troubleshooting a heat pump or installing a solar panel, the idea of using a simulated environment to practice those skills, both in a safe environment and an opportunity to practice them with a lot of repetitions it's a really powerful application of virtual reality. What else can people learn through interplay learning? So we focus primarily on the building trades. So it's electrical, it's plumbing, it's HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, other facility maintenance stuff, new construction stuff. Think about a building. How do you put a building up and how do you operate a building? Those are the areas we focus on. In the future, we'll look to other industries, hands-on workers, more industrial Anybody who's touching wires, who's fixing a piece of equipment, installing, diagnosing, operating any kind of engine, that type of thing. Now, is it all virtual reality or are there other kinds of learning environments you're creating? We actually have a big catalog of learning and, oh. and it's a mix of, of simulations. But the, the thing that gets attention and the thing, frankly, that has moved the needle for these industries to start adopting online learning has been these point of view simulations. I think about just for example, like I'm looking at a series of wires in a black and white textbook versus being immersed in a space like 
how do I know which wire to clip here? How do I know how to hold the wires and so on? All of that's going to be much more clear in an interplay learning environment, right? Exactly what you just said. Like your, your instincts say it's better than a black and white image in front of you. And all the science and research has borne that out and, and demonstrated that. What we've really done is, one, taking it to the trades. You can imagine there's a pretty big leap from the Department of Defense budget and the HVAC world. And so we've just sort of democratized it. The equipment cost has come dramatically down, right? The Department of Defense in the 80s would spend $6 million building a simulator. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the aviation industry world simulating plane flights, what they've got to physically build. What we do is really bring that down to a sort of everyday use situation where I often ask people like, I don't think you're in your living room, but what what color is the rug in your living room? (laughs) It's blue. Blue. Okay. (laughs) So what you did, that's unusual. You got a bright taste. I like it. You know, I hear mostly grays and brown. So what you just did, Kristen, was you actually created the living room in your head. I did. And then you looked down. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you did, right? You got to create the space and then look down. So... We look to space as a primary tool for recall and retaining information. People, after they've been in our simulation, especially in VR, I'll say, you know, in two days, think about that split residential AC unit you were looking at, and you'll be amazed at how crisp it is in your brain. And with this headset, you occlude the world around you. So your presence is close to 100%. You think you're at that, you know, indoor unit or outdoor unit piece of equipment, And you're not thinking about anything else. You're not looking at your phone or seeing cars drive Mm. by or looking at your instructor, looking down on you. You are really thinking about that environment. And that presence, when it comes to learning and recalling and retaining information, is incredibly valuable. And sometimes you're on your knees, actually Mm. reaching back, trying to reach this sort of virtual component in the back. And by activating your body, your brain is also working a lot harder to retain that information. And so combine all of that, both the power of spatial learning, that high presence level, and the body in activity mode, and you've got a very powerful training tool. More entrepreneur than tradesman himself, Doug was inspired by military training technology to break open the world of workforce training. He's worked with master plumbers, among other facility maintenance professionals, to develop training programs that are efficient, intuitive, and appealing to a younger workforce in a new digital age. Now, all of this sounds incredible, but I'm curious, could you tell us what you were doing before all this? Oh, yeah. So I did a dot-com in 99 in in the Bay Area when this... This internet thing was taking off. And, I and heard we of that some, thing. Yeah. Yeah. We did some <laughs> media file sharing back then. And then I actually built a small recreation sports company, which is to say I built a small ski area outside of Denver, Colorado called Echo Mountain. It still exists today. I did go to business school and I do like solving business problems. And so when I see a problem, I see if there's perhaps a solution, a better way to do something. And That's what drove me into this opportunity. If you ever want to add VR skiing to your ski mountain in the off-season, just another option for your customers there. Uh, Yes. So you're an entrepreneurial guy, but how did you get into VR workforce training? I was with another company. One of the things we were doing was a blended learning class, meaning some was online and some was in person for energy auditors. These are the folks who keep your homes more energy efficient, right? They're going to analyze, are you wasting energy and how can we change that? 
And in that program, we could only really afford to put them in one house, one training environment. And they really needed to be in 70 houses to really understand how to do this well and become a good building analyst and understand the energy requirements. And we looked around and said, this is certainly not efficient. And, and so it wasn't a big leap to say, geez, why couldn't we use simulation like the military has been doing? Why couldn't we bring that to the trades? And there's a confluence of a number of things that had to come together. One, the computing power had to be able to handle it. And this is really 2015, 16, where you really felt like, okay, we've got broadband in most places. We have all these needed skilled technicians, positions available, and very few skilled people entering the industry. And we thought, we think we have a solution to really accelerate skill development and hopefully invite more people in, right? If there's a little sexier way to learn a trade, that's also appealing, right? But you got a 19-year-old and they have all these choices of employment and they've got, you know, someone in their ear saying they should become a lawyer and go to a four-year institution, but they might want to do something else. Now you have a lot more opportunity sort of being technology first for that generation is really paramount to get them even looking in your direction. So it all added up to like, this is the right time to start introducing this technology and capability into the training world for the skilled trades. And how did the training used to look for people who were entering the trades 30, 40 years ago, or even as recently as 10 years ago? What did the training used to look like? We're early in the world of adopting this type of technology. Most of it primarily is job shadowing. They might be apprenticeship programs. They might be vocational schools, career schools. They might be sometimes K through 12, though in, in high school, they'll have a program. But a lot of that stuff got really shuttered or at least condensed considerably in the 80s and 90s. Community colleges didn't quite have the demand for some of their trades programs, so they shuttered them, et cetera. So that's changing. There's been definitely a, a shift in mentality, and people understand the financial reward here and understand what fantastic careers these can be for so many. Yeah, and I have to say, my friends who are electricians or my friends who are carpenters, it takes a really long time. You're right. Like, we never use the word master. You don't become a master till 20 years in these careers, <laughs> right? Like, let's not use that term loosely because it does take a real long time to get really to that master level. Simulation can really condense experience time. So, for example, your friends, let's say they're an electrician and they're going out in the field. If they're diagnosing problems, they may not see problem X, Y, Z very often, right? Oh, you rarely see that. And it might take you six months, nine months before you see that and have to diagnose it. Now imagine in simulation what we can do. We can present all kinds of in-the-field scenarios in a really short amount of time. So what might take three weeks in the field to get a sense of, we can do in three hours or three days where we oh, can just wow. put them through a ton of repetitions and change variables. And so your ability to do that on just software is a lot quicker. Now, let's talk about your customers and how they would utilize your program. How does that all work? Our biggest customer is actually the employer. So this might be Sally's Heating and Air or Bob's Plumbing. This might be a small, medium-sized business in your hometown. You probably look out your window right now and see one of the trucks, right? And they're fixing something. That is a big customer of ours. And what they do is they buy seats on our platform and they use it for their foundational training program. Maybe Wednesday morning, they spend three hours on our platform and then they're in the field, or they'll have a sort of earn and learn program going on using our platform. It's also allowed them to widen their candidate pool because now they have a reliable training program where they can take somebody with no skill and make them skilled versus inconsistent and, and inefficient job shadowing with varied levels of success. Yeah. And so let's say I'm there for the beginning of the day. Am I sitting in front of a computer? How does that work? So yeah, it is online. 
And there are 175 plus courses right now on there. And some of them are going to be one hour video based courses with voiceover PowerPoint with really dynamic graphics. For example, oh, let's teach you the refrigeration cycle. Okay, this is where the condensing happens. This is the temperature change, right? Sort of classical knowledge that you need to understand really fundamentally how these machines work. Then you might jump into a simulation. Then you might say, okay, now it's time to try to activate and we're going to go troubleshoot a rooftop unit. And inside of those simulations, we'll use a, we call it a walk, jog, run approach where we'll be guiding that learner very clearly. Click here and this is why, or you might watch a video of an expert doing that same simulation as if you're looking over their shoulder. Mm. Uh, now I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna actually grab that tool. I'm gonna take the measurement. I'm gonna advance to the next step and we'll guide you the whole way. As you advance, then we'll start removing some of those learning aids. And so it starts to look and feel like more live training or, or live assessment. Uh, like, can you really do this? It also sounds super fun. It is fun. Do you have people who are like master plumbers working with programmers or how is all of this being put together? Yeah, that's exactly how we do it. So what we try to do is identify a curriculum. What's interesting is our approach to curriculum is not like a classic school. We don't start with the theory. We really go to companies and say, okay, if you needed to hire Kristen and she had no skills, like what do we need to teach her from month three to month nine or 18 all the way through? And we'd identify what those activities were that would be high value for employers. And we built training around that. So then we would work with that master electrician to help design the instructional design of what that course would look like in a simulated format. And we sort of learn how to move someone from A to B using formative feedback, using tools in there, using extra learning aids, using hint-like systems so that I can move you along. I'm going to dork out here a little. It's called the zone of proximal development, which is exactly the zone you want to be when you're learning, which is you're challenged, but you're comfortable, right? Like if I drop a a Russian textbook on you today and say, learn Russian, like, whoa, whoa, that's just too far. You got to take me along slowly. So we've designed a, an engine behind that system to allow us to build these training simulations rapidly. Doug says demand for Interplay Learning's offerings has increased dramatically over the last couple years. And much of that demand is due to the pandemic. However, with so many people at home, there's also been an increase in demand to hire skilled technicians to fix that leaky plumbing, noisy heat pump, or faulty solar panel. Making matters worse, the Great Resignation. And with it, an increase in the national shortage of skilled workers. Doug hopes to fill that void by working with schools and libraries. He's also expanding program outreach to nonprofit organizations to help those underserved communities who might otherwise encounter obstacles landing a job in the skilled trades. I imagine with the pandemic, that you're probably in more demand than ever right now. A lot of us suddenly were having to do certain things remote that we never had to do remote before. Yep. And I imagine that's where you come in for a lot of people. Like, they're not going to be able to go into a classroom now. They're not going to be shadowing people like they used to because the people who they would normally be shadowing, there are only one or two allowed in the building because they're trying to limit how many people are in the building during a pandemic, right? Yep. When the pandemic hit, obviously everyone froze for a month. And then our business, yeah, accelerated because people realized, geez, I've got technicians at home. How am I going to make that time valuable? We've seen a lot of schools who use labs a lot. Oh, we have labs. We don't need simulations. They might have been reluctant. 
And then they couldn't send the kids in the lab. So they said, okay, let's go virtual. What's been nice is now we're a year past that and no one's going backwards. And it's not necessarily replacing hands-on time. In some cases, it's a replacement. Sometimes it's an enhancement. Sometimes it's just an efficiency tool. Every one of these employers or schools needs to recruit people to come in and learn a trade. And if they don't have a digital offering, that's just not very appealing to this current generation. Or they're going to find obsolescence is going to take hold here. Yeah. It seems that a lot of us have become way more aware of the shortage of people in the trades. Yeah, that's right. When we started really seeing the need in the marketplace, there was a, a lot of commentary about the skills gap, right? There is a lot of retiring baby boomers who had been 30-year, 40-year technicians in the field, and, and they're heading into retirement, and nothing's going to stop them. It's like we talk about the great resignation, right? Like now, mm -hmm. a lot of them used it as, okay, this is my time. I'm ready to hang it up. The skills gap got even more acute over the last two years. And part of the reason I think our business has really taken off is that employers have said, I've got to solve this skills gap myself. Kids these days don't come into our trade anymore. <laughs> you just got to solve it, right? And so they're starting to think of innovative ways to do it. They're starting to build better internal, build your own workforce programs. There's no doubt that has driven our business. And it's been nice in the last couple of years. It seems like there's a lot more respect for these careers more than there ever was. Heck, we use the term essential workers, mm -hmm. right? This is essential to keep our food cold and to keep our plumbing working and to keep our houses safe and all those things in our environment that we take for granted so often. And, and to be called an essential worker to me sends a message to everybody how valuable this is. And it really is the backbone to making the world go round every day. Yeah, absolutely. How do you recruit people to take your courses? Are you mostly reaching out to companies themselves? Are you reaching out to trade schools? How, how are you uh, getting your customers for this? One is the schools. We've really started to focus on schools just in the last year or so. It wasn't a, a market we focused on a lot, but now we do. And they find us or we go to the conferences. We make it known what we can do for them. And so that's been a successful part. But the, the other two areas that are, to me are really interesting and just really in the fledgling stage was this, one is the individual. They find us, right? Someone might Google how to fix a heat pump. They might find a YouTube video. Oh, look at this simulation, huh? I wonder what company made that simulation. They may find us. Not a primary part of our market, but kind of fun to see. And I kind of like knowing who they are. Are they DIYers? Are they what we call enterprising techs, that is they're already in the business and they're at home kind of learning at night, right? They just want to get better. And so they want to practice. The other place that's been fun we started to look at is what we call the workforce development world, right? Those are community centers, job centers, places where people are going, alternative places to go try to help find a career or do a career shift, et cetera. Better careers mean better lives. Simple as that. There's a, a library in Georgia that bought a handful of seats on our platform for their internal maintenance tax, right? Very common. And the librarian saw it and said, oh, that's interesting. So she bought 10 seats and made it a software that you can check out. So you can actually oh, get- Oh, wow. And, and there was a wait list after a month so long, she bought another 20 seats. And then it got even crazier where uh, a local judge heard about it. She is now planning in a case where someone's been underemployed and ends up in her courtroom a couple times. And they often say, well, you got to do X, Y, Z in community service. Let's say it's a you know minor offense. Her plan is to start using it to say, hey, you want to become employed, stop coming to my courtroom and I'm going to actually sentence you 
to using this software to, you know, to build some valuable skills that would get you a job. And maybe that's an edge case. Yeah. You're going into underserved communities and giving opportunities where there weren't necessarily opportunities. You don't need the big factory in your community. Mm. Like these jobs are in every single community and they're in need right now for us to be able to hopefully give that on-ramp. It helps us every day get into work and do what we do. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're rural or city. If you're like most of us, you're lucky enough to have a toilet and (laughs) someone needs to fix that toilet, right? That's right. That's right. Now, you mentioned you work with nonprofits. Which nonprofits do you work with? So National Association of Home Builders, they have an arm called uh, Home Building Institute, HBI, and they do some really interesting work with communities where it's often kids who've bumped along and had some challenges, whether they they couldn't get to high school and then they ran into some trouble, et cetera. And this is another chance for them to find some solid footing and and get going in the right direction. And, And we're just really starting to get into the workforce development world and trying to get our solution in front of more organizations. And, and here we can present them with a solution that can be delivered really accessibly. It's affordable. Now we talk about that $300 VR headset. Effectively, you have a training program in a box. So it's a really leapfrog delivery capability into communities Mm. that otherwise might never have an opportunity to build a training program in in these trades. Yeah. I mean, building a brick and mortar technical school from the ground up and then charging tuition to everybody, that's going to cost people tens of thousands of dollars to attend and millions of dollars to put the facility together in the first place. It's certainly a compelling value proposition. And as people recognize, it's just a, it's a classic case where innovation has driven the price down and and not just us, the hardware has really helped, right? It's really nice to see this hardware investment and for us to be able to fuel that has been really rewarding. I think we're really just scratching the surface of what we can do here with the nonprofit world or foundation world where we're trying to get a a collection of folks who otherwise would have barriers to getting into these really valuable careers. Doug, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for listening to Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. On the next episode, we'll hear from Alec Lee, an innovator of booze, whose goal is to replicate some of the world's most critically acclaimed wines and spirits with sustainable practices in only a fraction of the time. Our response to the industry of like, oh, you're just coming in to disrupt. And it's like, no, we're trying to create our own thing. And yours is still uniquely yours. And we don't want to touch it. But we want to understand what are the molecules that make whiskey. And then we're starting with a blank canvas. Subscribe to Innovation Uncovered. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Season 2 of Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. Ordinary people who shape the future by putting their money behind the right ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100, so you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. To learn more about what this fund can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ.
There are risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers, are based on current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with T-Brand Studio, Kristen Meinzer, or any of the subjects or companies referenced in this episode. This content should not be construed as an endorsement for or a recommendation to invest in any of the companies referenced in this episode. Invesco Distributors, Inc.